We welcome your ears. We welcome your ears. We welcome your ears. Between November 1st and Christmas Eve of this past year, mm-hmm. in the U.S., online sales grew 47.2 percent, mm-hmm. almost 50 percent twice. Well, we're transitioning. That's it. On the consumer side, we're transitioning more towards an online consumerism. Mm-hmm. And on the business side, they're also transforming more into online aspects, forced to go into more online aspects of the business. Which was happening pre-COVID, but COVID has accelerated that. You're listening to The Sill Podcast with Peter Noche and Harry Posner. Episode 142, pH Factor, Business Not As Usual. Come on in, have a seat. Join the conversation. So business not as usual, TSP 142. Okay. This is what we're talking about today. And we, in between, of course, we must have that cup of coffee. <sighs> oh. Whoa. Come on, that Brazilian espresso. Arabica. Very good. Oh, well, that was noisy. <sighs> That was a very slurpy, slurpy sound. But well, it's good to make sound effects. But you have it's to, audio, for God's sake. But you have to admit, the aroma, it's, it's permeating. The aroma. It's, it's, <laughs> Viva la Roma. <laughs> so, Harry, humor aside, what adjectives come to your mind when thinking about the current business environment? Shock mm-hmm. and dismay and uh, panic in many ways. Worry about going bankrupt. How long can this last? All those thoughts that are back in place now, since we're in the second lockdown. Mm-hmm. The question really is, how much can the business community withstand of this kind of strategy? Yep. It's a strategy to try to keep people safe, supposedly. I have found some quotes here I want to share. Sure. Just to give people a sense for the seriousness of the situation. So, mm-hmm. for example, there's a retail analyst by the name of Dan Kelly. Mm-hmm. And he says... What I can tell you is the data from Ontario, where this podcast comes from, Mm -hmm. suggests that a third of businesses will not survive a second lockdown. We're in the second lockdown now. They report that they are at risk of permanent bankruptcy, which, of course, on any measure is tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of businesses. This is deeply worrisome. I don't see any pathway where we're going to have fewer than 100,000 businesses closed across Canada as a result of the second wave. Wow. So this is the kind of thing we're talking about. This is from the UK. On the day after Christmas, known as Boxing Day in the UK, the number of people going into stores declined by 63% compared with the previous year according to data from retail experts. Mm -hmm. Retail bankruptcies in 2020 in the UK hit the highest levels in more than a decade, and experts say there are more to come, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And for those who say, well, it's in the UK, the UK has a very similar pattern to most Western undeveloped nations. Oh, yeah. I mean, this story is the same basically everywhere. Mm -hmm. So we've got Jamie from Fable North Tattoo with us today, who started tattooing in 2015, And since 2018, she opened the business up in Barrie and has since added four employees, is it, Jamie? Well, they're all private contractors, but yeah, there's four other ones that are there with me now. Are they just tattoo artists or are they doing other things as well? Yeah, they're all artists, all very phenomenal artists. So to begin with, this entire process with COVID-19, 
obviously you've had some interesting experience over the last year. <laughs> yeah, you could call it interesting. <laughs> <laughs> How do you feel about things going forward? Honestly, I feel pretty good. It doesn't seem to have affected the rate at which people are wanting to get tattooed, really. People are still emailing and all the time wanting to get tattooed. So I feel good about that. So can I ask you a question, just to roll the tape back a bit, Jamie, when the first lockdown happened back in March, what went through your head as a business person at that point? That was scary because I didn't know that we'd be getting so much support from the government, really. I just had no idea how I was going to end up paying my rent when I wasn't generating any income. Right. So that was pretty scary. So I, I panicked for a little while when we were first off, also because we didn't know how long it was going to last. So it was just, what am I doing? I need to be productive right now. I need to get on top of this and figure out a way to keep the business alive. <laughs> so we'll get into talking about the business logistics in a minute, but let's talk on a personal level. Obviously, there was a shock, unexpected situation that you've never faced before. How, yeah. how did it affect you initially? And how has it transformed you, if it has, in terms of how you look at your business, how you look at your life, et cetera? Well, I've definitely slowed down since before the first lockdown. I just was working like crazy before. I was make hay while the sun shines sort of thing. I was just running myself ragged, tattooing all the time, all day, and then drawing all night and mm. emails and just constantly work, work, work all the time. And then uh, when we went into lockdown, it was like, I don't know what to do with myself because all I'm used to doing is working all the time. So it took me a while to kind of rediscover all the other things that I really enjoy. So then when I went back to work, I uh, gave myself a lot more of a relaxed schedule. And then when we went off again, I actually missed tattooing a lot more this time around than I did the first time. <laughs> mm, right. And so with that extra time on your hands, you kind of rediscovered other aspects of your creative life. It sounds like there are some positives that you discovered through these ups and downs. Is that to say? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Even today, I spent my morning working on a new story. I've been waking up with uh, story ideas more often now just because I'm not as focused solely on tattooing. So I started writing again. I've been kind of focused more on my surroundings at home and trying to upgrade, do some interior decorating sort of stuff. And I worked on my garden last uh, lockdown because it was summertime and all sorts of fun stuff. Mm -hmm. So in some ways, basically, this COVID-19 situation has actually put you back in touch with what you really love. And even though you enjoy tattooing, it's more of a vocation than the actual passion. The passion is really in your art, isn't it? Yeah, the art itself is the passion. And I do really enjoy making tattoos out of the artwork, but um, that part's really fun for me as well. But there's a lot of different facets of creativity that I also enjoy. Writing is a big one. And then, yeah, drawing and uh, painting as well. So, of course, you enjoy tattooing as well. It's not your primary love it's a love that comes from the work, it's driven from what you do love and just a, mm -hmm. a continuation. So, obviously, You've done it primarily because it earns you a better living. I definitely love the aesthetic of tattoos as well. So tattoos themselves are a draw for me. But 
definitely the art is the main thing for me. And is it easier for the tattoo business to withstand these kinds of ups and downs than maybe other kinds of retail businesses, as far as you know? Or is it just as difficult? I think that tattoos have gotten so popular in the last little while, and I really think that's not going to go away. Uh, and I, I read somewhere, or someone told me, I can't remember, that um, even in recessions, certain industries that make you feel good about yourself still do really well. Mm. Um, and I think that tattoos are a big thing that makes you feel really good. Like you're changing the way you look in a, well, I think in a very positive way and it's sort of giving you a little boost. Mm-hmm. It's really fun for a lot of people. So yeah. I think that they will still do well. So let's talk about the practical side here, the business end, which of course now you're into a second lockdown. And we don't really know how long this is going to last. They keep saying, you know, 28 days, three weeks, and it keeps getting extended. For all we know, we could have another year or two of this in some form or another. Explain a little bit or tell me a little bit about how you're feeling about that situation where it's unpredictable. And what are you doing? How are you planning? Are you able to maneuver should things continue longer than you anticipate? And so on. Is there a limit to where you just can't run the business anymore? Eventually, my savings will run out. Eventually, I'm sure there won't be as much support available from the government. So at some point, yeah, it would definitely turn into a situation that I just couldn't sustain. I couldn't keep the location anymore because the rent is a good chunk of my operating costs. (laughs) I don't even know what I would do at that point. I guess I would have to leave the studio. And yeah, that would be probably worst case scenario. Mm -hmm. So perhaps I asked you a question that you weren't anticipating. In other words, in your mind, this is going to be over in the next few months. And perhaps I've startled you a bit and had you going to a place that you really don't want to go. But let's assume... (laughs) I I don't want to go there. (laughs) But just for the sake of the discussion, let's assume worst case scenario, because it's always easy to take the good news. It's the tough news that really challenges us the intricacies of the business, a part that you described to me off this podcast about how you enjoyed the intricacies of the business, the setups, the preparation, all the organizing. Um, There are aspects that I don't enjoy, like I really don't like doing the books, but I like being the one to decide which tattoos that I take on. I like being the one to, to talk directly to my clients. I like setting up my own schedule and knowing exactly which days I'm up for doing a big piece this day or this day I just feel like I need to take this day to just work on drawings and stuff like that. So, yeah. So in terms of the running of the business through this year, have you found that you had to come up with innovative ways of keeping the business going or kind of doing it a bit more somehow online? Obviously, you can't do a tattoo online, but are there any innovative ways that you've found to keep the business sort of alive through these times? Well, I think that social media is a huge part of that because that's how I stay connected with my clients. You don't want them to forget you're there. So if you keep active on there, and and I was posting my artwork that wasn't tattoo related all throughout the last lockdown. And this time I'm posting pieces. These are drawings that you can get tattooed when the lockdown's over. So fill this form out and claim this tattoo for later. 
sort of keeping me relevant, I hope. <laughs> and some fine work it is. Of course, I'm biased because I'm your uncle, but, uh, <laughs> but no. No, no, seriously, I, I, I think it's really, really fine work. And I've always told you that. And I told you that even when you were very young and you were cutting papers and drawing pictures in my office. Uh, but, I think I have some uh, footage of one time that I was cutting up some papers in your office saying that I'm a good cutter. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I have that for sure. I've kept that one. So on that note, Jamie, tell the listeners where they can access some of your work and your art. Well, I usually I just do everything through Instagram. It's um, daughterofmars.tattoos. And uh, right now I'm just posting the pre-drawn designs. And then after lockdown, then I'll open my books back up for existing clients and so on. Okay, one final question for you, Jamie. Yeah. If there's one image that seems to represent this year (laughs) that uh, is kind of the tattoo image that you would choose, what would that image be? Ooh. (laughs) I mean, for me, I focus a lot on, I do a lot of floral tattoos, so I guess If we're thinking symbolically, we could say something about new beginnings and how some things are blossoming out of uh, all the devastation that's happened this year. That would be a nice representation, maybe. Cool. A rising phoenix, so to speak. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. You could say that. A phoenix. That's great. Thank you. Jamie, is there anything else you want people to know about you or your work or your business? Where to reach you? Why would they seek you out? People inquiring about tattoos and so on. If you look at my portfolio online and you like the style that you see there, I would be really appreciative of a a follow on there, a follow along with my journey there. And when I open my book, send in an application for a tattoo. Cool. We'll do it. I have never had one. I might just take you up on that. <laughs> yeah, you want some flowers tattooed? No, I think I'd like a, a tattoo of, of a bald guy with glasses. Ooh. That sounds like fun. I like doing portraits. Thanks, Jamie. Appreciate Ooh. it. Yeah, thank you guys. This was fun. Have right. a good one. You too. Take care. All right, you too. Okay, bye. We just heard Jamie, a local business in Barrie, small business in Barrie, runs a tattoo operation. Yep. Describe her particular scenario. Typical in a way, of Mm. what retailers and service providers have gone through in the last year. Shock Mm -hmm. and dismay and uh, panic in many ways. Worry about going bankrupt. How long can this last? All those thoughts that are back in place now since we're in the second lockdown. Mm -hmm. The question really is how much can the business community withstand of this kind of strategy. It's a strategy to try to keep people safe, supposedly. I know you feel particularly strong about this. I mean, we're talking about the business side of it, but I know you have a particularly strong opinion about the lockdowns in general. Yeah, I think they're completely off base. Not in the sense of in general, Mm -hmm. but in the sense of whenever a virus is rampant in the community already, Mm -hmm. lockdowns have been shown to not have any correlation to the death rate. Mm Mm-hmm which is astounding when you look at the studies, and they're actually reputable studies from The Lancet, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's Mm -hmm. more than 22 studies Mm -hmm. that are showing no correlation, which means no extra lives are being saved by locking down the community or not locking down the community. It makes no difference. So if that's true, 
then lockdowns are a terrible crime against the population, against the business community, against the economy, against people's lives and their futures and Mm -hmm. everything else. So to me, it's really a deep problem that we're locked into the idea of lockdowns. It's just me, though. It's an ongoing debate, and some of which I share with you, some of what you're saying, definitely I do. I think the issue here continues to be how much of it is founded in actual science or facts and how much of it is political and how much of it is fear-driven and so on. And there's a tremendous number of people now that are constantly debating and what the long-term effects of this is going to be. But now, getting back to businesses, there are several aspects here. One is the consumer side and one is the business entrepreneur side. Right. Because what's happened over the last year is consumers are consuming less. Mm-hmm. And many of us consumers are discovering that we can live on less. Absolutely. We don't need as much stuff. Yeah. Which on the one hand is not a good thing for the businesses. Mm-hmm. But on the other side, as a business entrepreneur, and you've asked this question numerous times, if you could make exactly the same amount of profit you made last year, no more, right? no less, but the same, would you be satisfied? And you've asked this of entrepreneurs, right? Specifically, the question was posed as if you had 50 employees and all 50 employees were doing better than they were the year before, but you didn't earn any more profits, but you didn't earn any less, would you be satisfied? Yeah, and the corollary of that is, how much profit do you really need? Right. Can you exist? When is there enough of profit that you don't really feel the need to grow and grow and grow and grow? Which really hit a mark for me, and that is this obsession with growth. Right, exactly. Growth, it's not limitless. You can't continue to grow things all the time. Nature doesn't work that way. That's right. There's a point where the tree has to come down. And Mm -hmm. it does, naturally. Mm -hmm. From within, it decays, or a lightning bolt, or something. Our obsession with growth, for me personally, it's ridiculous. I know that's the world that we live in, and I understand the foundation of it. The foundation of it is interest rates, inflation, and so on. It's like we must have inflation in order to be able to increase our interest rates. This perpetual cycle of, in my opinion, borderline insanity. Sure. But that's the system that we've created, and that's the system that we live in. Yeah. There's never a satisfaction. Mm -hmm. And maybe this COVID situation will give us that opportunity. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, as it is right now, between November 1st and Christmas Eve of this past year, Mm -hmm. in the U.S., online sales grew Mm 47.2%. Almost 50% twice. Well, we're transitioning. That's it. On the consumer side, we're transitioning more towards an online Consumerism, Mm -hmm. and on the business side, they're also transforming more into online aspects, forced to go into more online aspects of the business. Which was happening pre-COVID, but COVID has accelerated that. And it's unfortunate for some businesses, for actually for many small businesses who don't have the wherewithal to to move into online Mm -hmm. so easily compared to the larger companies who already have an online arm it's been very, very difficult. So that rise of almost 50% in online is mostly towards the bigger retailers. Mm-hmm. And Jamie, who we spoke to earlier today, is a prime example of some of the shift that's occurring. Right. We asked Jamie about sort of the positive side of it. And mm-hmm. so there's some positives that she's shared with us as well. 
Right, and positives, which you and I have discussed. Yes. I think you know my position on this whole thing from the beginning has been that despite all the suffering and death and so on that no one really would like to have, I think that there's a lot of positive things that can come out of this fiasco. Mm -hmm. So give me some examples. Well, some of them Jamie already expressed, the opportunity to really reset, to think, to right. reflect, and to see what is and what isn't important. You made reference to this uh, part about spending. Well, I've heard many people tell me, not only are they spending less, they're not missing a lot of it. So the question yeah. in this podcast is, yeah. will things go back to the way they were even if this thing is 100% resolved. Look, I'm reading stuff online here that is saying that this downturn in business mm -hmm. worldwide, this is a decade-long trip we're on. Okay. A decade mm -hmm. for things to come back in any serious way to what they might have been before. Mm -hmm. So we're not talking six months, a year, COVID is done, we're back to normal. Well, look at the airline, right. the, the travel industry. Uh, with all the restrictions that have been applied and added recently, some in Canada recently as well, to travel. Mm -hmm. It's totally destroyed airlines. And anything related to it, the hospitality business as well. Everything. Uh, restaurants. Mm -hmm. My sadness over this is for our local businesses, our local restaurants in particular, mm -hmm. been extremely hard hit. In some ways, unfairly so. I agree. You know, we recently had a situation where we were in a code red, as it was called, where the restaurants were allowed to have 10 people dining in. Oh, mm -hmm. my Lord, 10 people. Now, in a tiny restaurant, that could be a lot, but a lot of restaurants have some space, and 10 people doesn't nearly fill the space. Mm -hmm. Well beyond the six-foot parameter. Yeah, and people mm -hmm. were safe, mm -hmm. and people were distanced, and all the above. And suddenly, mm -hmm. lockdown hits in, and you can't have anybody in your restaurant. Now, there's 10 diners times two or three, if you have various yeah. sittings, and that makes up some of the shortfall for your general losses. Mm -hmm. But now you've ripped that away from restaurateurs mm -hmm. and put them back into a takeout-only situation. Yeah, It's untenable for a lot of restaurants, and they're going to be falling by the wayside, I'm sorry to say. Right. And that's bad for a community. Yes. Well, the way I see this, it's the speed, because if you were given time to mm. make these transitions over a period of 5, 10, 15 years, you could make that shift slowly yeah. because everybody would be adjusting similarly as we went. But now, everything has happened in the course of a year. Yeah. No one is prepared for that. Sure. And with these lockdowns, we're seeing around the world a lot of protests. Mm -hmm. And a lot of those people are business people who have seen their livelihoods ripped away from them. Mm -hmm. You have to use these words. They've been ripped away. Yeah. And they're not seeing a future. They have families to feed. They're not getting the kind of support they need in a lot of cases. Right. And they're hitting the streets. So what we're seeing and what we're likely to see if this carries on is more civil unrest around the world. We just saw yesterday really the travesty of people in Washington, D.C. Incredible. Breaking into the Capitol building, taking over the Senate chambers and taking snapshots of themselves in Pelosi's office in, with Confederate flags and all this bullshit. Right. We're seeing this as horrifying as that is in a way and mm -hmm. as despicable as it is. Mm -hmm. It's a direct result 
of how governments have handled COVID. I'm sorry to say, but that's my view. And the more stringent and restrictive and draconian the measures and the more they're not commensurate with the actual threat of the virus, right. we're going to do this to keep safe. I know we're carpet bombing Dresden, but we're going to keep people safe that way. Well, when you carpet bomb something, yep. you get a Dresden. Right. Sorry to say, yeah. serious words I'm using here. No, I Take it for what it's worth yeah. and consider it. That's all I'm and saying. The only thing I have to say to add to that is something that I've said repeatedly over the last few months on podcasts and off podcasts is my greatest concern, more how we as human beings deal with each other yeah. than any damage that COVID will do. Sure. And I know of people in the community who have gone into businesses and had gotten into arguments with the owner of the business because they can't wear a mask mm -hmm. for whatever reason. And the owner saying, I'm sorry, you can't come into my business because you're not wearing the mask. But I can't wear the mask for medical reasons. It doesn't matter. You can't come into our business. That's our rules here, mm -hmm. even though they really can't do that legally. They're doing it. And people are being turned off certain businesses by the way they're being treated mm -hmm. there. And it's unfortunate because the government is forcing these business owners and their staff to be policemen for the general public. It's not fair. And when you say government, what you're really talking about is leadership. Leadership is lacking. Of course. Of course it is. It's lacking in a big way. Mm -hmm. They turn around, these politicians, and they say, it's not our doing. We're just following the health advice. Mm -hmm. Well, it's not their job to follow the health advice. It's their job to listen to the health advice and then to apply it fairly in the community. Act accordingly. And act accordingly. Yeah. So uh, there's a lot to discuss here. We're kind of a bit off topic, but yep. it all goes back to business because in some respects, we're all in business in some form or other. That's right. Whether you're a freelancer or a restaurateur or right. a tattoo artist like Jamie, we're all in some respects monetizing our services. Yes. Well, right? And basically, I mean, I've listened to what you've had to say in the last few minutes, and you're simply expressing the frustration and anxiety that a lot of people are experiencing. Yeah, right. And so after the all clear is given, if that's even going to happen, mm -hmm. what happens to business then is an interesting question. You know, putting in plexiglass barriers mm -hmm. and all this stuff on the floor and signage and all this stuff. Is that suddenly going to come away overnight? I don't think so. I, why would you invest all kinds of money and then just rip it away? I think plexiglass barriers are going to be here for a long, long time. And I don't think it's limited to just businesses, even though that's what we're talking about primarily here. I think it's a whole psychological effect on people that will remain even when the so-called clear is given. Right. Psychologically, this has gone on long enough. Mm -hmm. It's impacted each one of us differently, but the impacts are there. Just right. because you take away the so-called problem or perceived problem, because this is a debate in itself, too. Not yeah. everybody views this entire situation with the same gravitas. Well, yes, there are people right. who, who feel that the measures are way more than the actual virus is dangerous, not to diminish the, the facts on the ground of, of people dying around the world. And equally, there are people who feel the opposite. There are some people who feel that not enough is being done. Yes, yes, of course. So, oh, so. you know, stronger measures earlier, you know, all that stuff. So it's a really interesting kind of crazy mixed up free for all 
in terms of the data, the information world mm-hmm. and the information travel around the world and the internet, et cetera, it's really a brawl. <laughs> and you know, I've, I've said this before, yeah. and I've said this before, and I, I don't take pleasure in saying this, but there is part of me that does take pleasure, I have to be honest. This is something that cannot be solved, at least not totally, with money or military. It's really in many ways leveling the playing field here. Say more, what do you mean by that? It's a situation that's not going to be resolved by our usual means. We either throw money or military at problems. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is that going to provide you a solution? You certainly can't fire rockets and right. throw military at this. No, no, it's a different kind of uh, dilemma. Right. But what I'm saying is, beyond all that, you have something which cannot be dealt with in our usual ways. Mm-hmm. Not only because it's different, but because we haven't experienced it. But that's the interesting challenge. Yes. You know, a long time ago, whenever I thought about government, mm-hmm. and I thought, what's missing in government? What is it that is so disconcerting for me as a writer, as an artist? And it was clear as day, there was no creativity in government, a sense of creative response right. to problems, to issues. Mm-hmm. And here, with COVID, it's a prime example of a lack of creativity in problem solving, right? And this is a big one. Now... Businesses, we're talking about businesses. Businesses have been very creative in the way that they have dealt with and adapted to. They've bent over backwards to find ways of following the protocols, but also keeping their business alive Mm -hmm. and encouraging people to shop online or come to their store or pick up, whatever it is. And you have to give them credit. Absolutely. They've been so resilient and trying so hard. But as Jamie says, there's a limit. There's a limit to how far you can push this. Yes, but there's something else here that to me is very significant. And again, it's one of my pet peeves. It really demonstrates on some level that the importance of individuality in creating or initiating change is very, very important. We rely on governments and institutions to guide us and to direct us. And I contend that the real change will begin to happen when we change individually rather than the other way around. Okay. So, are you changing individually? Let me ask you this. Have you changed dramatically in terms of how you think about your consumer activities in the last year? Or have you just adapted and coped and you'll likely go back to the way things were before? I have to be honest. I don't think my change is as significant as a lot of people that I know because I sort of adopted those kinds of things pre-COVID, right? So I'm not a good example. Right. You ask any one of my family members or people that have known me for any period of time, they've heard me talk about this for 45 years. I've always felt that we were over the top (laughs) on the consumerism level. Yeah, your nieces and nephews going, yeah, uh, Uncle Peter, he's a bit of a tightwad, isn't he? He doesn't like to spend money. (laughs) But I'm not a tightwad. (laughs) It's not about spending money. To me, it's about, well, Jamie described it when she was talking. It's not about working less. It's about working differently. Sometimes we wear ourselves out to purchase those things. Look at it from another angle. You could say... I can work less, spend less, enjoy more. These are individual questions that you can't answer for other people. Yeah, right. It's this ongoing balance. Mm-hmm. This situation, if, if nothing else, for some people, not all people, it's been made clear that they don't need what they thought they needed. So yeah. if you need less, 
you can also work less or work differently with different ends. Yeah. Now, that kind of puts me to the idea of, and it's been surfacing this year in different aspects, of UBI, the Universal Basic Income. Yep. Because here is a situation where if UBI were brought in, then people would feel less inclined to worry Mm-hmm. about where their next meal or the rent check would come from, mm-hmm. you know, and then they would get their salary or wherever they worked and would bolster their livelihood. So I think this is an opportunity. Absolutely, it is. That would help businesses as well. People would have a bit more disposable income from the UBI as well. Not that people needed to waste it, but your disposable income would go quite often to local businesses. There's a limit to what can be given out. So the assumption right now is that we're approaching the end of it. Okay. Six months ago, a lot of things weren't even considered because the thinking is that, well, by, you know, yeah, back yeah. in March, by November or December, this will all be clear. We'll all be vaccinated and so on. That's not happening. We're already approaching the middle of January. Deaths are increasing. Cases are increasing. More support is going to be needed. Of course, people say, well, everything's going gangbusters for who? The 5% or the 10%, not for the main population, right? The UBI, whether you agree with it or not, the concept of it actually eliminates a lot of the thinking in this department because you're just going to come to the situation again where you're going to have to re-stimulate, re-support. Well, I thought the UBI is something that, in a way, takes the place of unemployment insurance and that sort of thing. Exactly. So it's not like you have to keep replenishing. If you have an unemployment insurance program that's replaced by the UBI, you're not spending any more. That's the point I was trying to make. Instead of constantly re-injecting, create a system that is consistent, measurable, and also is not punitive. Because the UBI will not provide you with a life of luxury. That's right. It will provide you with the basic necessities. Yeah, and don't forget, if everyone gets the UBI, that includes business owners. Exactly. And their staff. So business owners will also have a bit more income to play with. This is no different than applying the rules we have to help the health workers and hospitals because they're being overwhelmed. Yep. This is the exact same kind of thinking only on an economic level. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We apply it to COVID and lockdowns. Why don't we apply the same thing to dollars and cents? Yeah. Stop yeah. the system from being overwhelmed and continuing to increase wealth disparity. Find a more moderate, as you said, creative method yeah. of distributing funds mm-hmm. and removing the anxiety and the worry. And it's not like you're giving things away or you're giving people a life of luxury. You're simply giving them enough so that they're not preoccupied with the basics. Right. So our vote is for UBI. Mm -hmm. I intend to keep supporting our local businesses. Me too. As best I can. And to be honest with you, in the first lockdown, we made a real attempt to get out and take out from the restaurants and da, 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 da. But as the second lockdown comes, there's a feeling of, oh, just stay home forget about it, buy a chicken from Sobeys. So the restaurants, I think, are going to find it a bit more difficult in this next phase of the lockdown. And just hopefully they can survive. And if they do survive and get through it, then let's all go out to dinner and celebrate and really try to bring them back. With all the money that we saved in the last 12 months. Exactly. So business not as usual. Not as usual. On that note, Harry, ciao. Ciao, Peter.
The Sill Podcast is a Connecting Dots Media production. Available at thesillpodcast.com. Thank you for your donation to The Sill Podcast.